Art and Denise, thank you. Children and staff members, thank you. To all the children, thank you so much for serving us and ministering to us this morning. Our praise team as well. Thank you, Dan, for your leadership and serving our church. What a what a joy it is to uh, see and see our children sing of Christ and hear them read scripture, uh, declare God's word, and to respond in singing together. We would just uh, um, bow now and go to the Lord in prayer in, prepara- in preparation for the word of God. Father, we thank you that you are Emmanuel, that you are with us, that you are not just a God that's far away, uninvolved, uncaring, neglecting your people. But Lord, you are near, and you have shown us your love by sending your only Son to die on the cross on behalf of our sins. That is why we are here this morning. That is the only reason we're here in response to your grace. And Lord, as we uh, hear of Christ, as we hear the gospel declared, Lord, we pray that you grant us faith to believe um, and you grant us uh, faith to uh, worship you as you are worthy this day. We thank you, God, for your grace that abounds to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to begin my time, in our time, by telling you a story that, I, that, I, that, is, um, that is indelibly marked in my memory, and I don't think I'll ever forget. Uh, I, you know, I just came back from a missions trip to check in India, and uh, I prepared for my trip to India in many ways. I prepared by praying. I prepared by reading scripture. I prepared by eating a lot of Indian food. Uh, don't judge me, but I'm not very fond of Indian food. Okay, so we're all just different. God made us differently. So for me, I just this doesn't work for me. Right? Don't ask me why. If I could click that switch that works for me, I would, but I can't find that switch. So in preparing for India, I ate a lot of Indian food, and I, I watched uh, Slumdog Millionaire <laughs> for the fourth time. Right? So what a great movie. It, it, the movie is really about how childhood memories are so powerful. And uh, these things that happen to us when we're young, we keep for the rest of our lives. So I... There's a childhood memory uh, when I was six or seven years old. If you've been in our church, even for a few months, you've heard me tell this story. So it's old, old, old news to you. But uh, I think we had, I was six or seven. I'd been in the States maybe less than two years. And I'd heard about Magic Mountain. Some of you guys know the story already, right? I'd heard somehow about Magic Mountain. And one Saturday morning, my parents promised us that they'll take us to Magic Mountain, my sister and I. So Saturday morning, you know, I'm a night person, I don't wake up early, but that Saturday I woke up early, like 4 in the morning, no, I'm exaggerating, maybe 4.30 in the morning, I woke up early because I wanted to go, and my parents, my mom is here this morning, she can't understand English, so it's okay, <laughs> but they are, they're not, you know, they don't, they kind of sleep in, a lot later than I, would, I wanted, and so 8, 9, 10, 11, and they're just like slowly getting themselves ready. So like early afternoon, maybe after lunch, we start making our way towards Magic Mountain, right? So we get there, and we're at the ticket booth. My sister and I 
are mesmerized. That's like kingdom of heaven for me. When you're seven years old, like Magic Mountain Disneyland is like heaven. I'm like salivating. I can't wait to ride these rides. And uh, I don't know what exactly happened. Either they closed early that day, they had a special event. They weren't selling any more tickets. We had to turn back to our cars. My, my dad told, told us we can't go in to Magic Mountain. That's my first memory of disappointment in my life. <laughs> that was the longest walk back to my car. My sister started crying. I started crying. And, uh, wow, I will never forget that story. I'm not bitter, but I will not forget. <laughs> I'm not bitter. Well, so this, this past week... Um, I've been gone for our missions trip for many days, so we have promised our children we'll take them to Disneyland. So we have a Disney Visa card, and we get 1% of all our spending towards Disney dollars that we can use to purchase tickets. So we have five kids, so we have to wear, wait almost three years <laughs> to accrue enough points to get into Disneyland, because, you know, right? With five kids, I can't afford that. So after like almost three years of waiting, like Emma barely remembers the last time we went. We, so we go this, this past Tuesday. So we're all ready. We get all the kids ready. We're at Disneyland. You, know, you ride that tram. You go to the front gate. Well, you have to go to guest services to get their rewards card. And then you have to call them to transfer your dollar, reward dollars to your card. And then you can buy the tickets. So I get the card from guest services. I call 1-800 number. And I talked to the customer service agent, and he tells me, the computers are down. They're doing maintenance work. I'm like, who does maintenance work in December, right? And he says, it's going to take a while for the computer to come back on. And I'm like, uh, you know, sir, I've got five kids. <laughs> I mean, I got five little kids. We're in downtown Disney. We're waiting to get in. Is there anything you can do? And so I'll call the supervisor over. So I know how to work these supervisors. You have to be very kind and gentle and great, very humble, like almost like talk like you're about to break down and cry. <laughs> so I'm like using all my techniques. I'm buttering them up. Like I've got five kids and my wife, she's tired and we need to go in. It's like matter of life and death. And he says he'll see what he can do. And I'm waiting and I'm telling my wife, you know, wait, we'll see, we'll see. And then the supervisor comes back on and says, the computers are down. It might take three to four hours. And so I tell my wife that, and our kids are at the gate. <laughs> like, literally, like, like this. And I'm telling her, it's going to be three to four hours of the whole day. So we might not be able to go today. What should we do? Should we just head back? And that, you know, a tram ride going to Disneyland is full of fun. But if you go back without going in, that's the worst ride in the world. And my wife turns to me and she said, I can tell her that, I didn't, tell, I didn't get permission, but she said, I'm about to cry. <laughs> and you know, me too. Not, not for our sake, for our kids' sake. It's so sad. Like, you're just waiting to get in. So if, if Disneyland, if it is, I don't think it is, if it is the happiest place on earth, then right outside those, those gates, <laughs> that's the most, the unhappiest place on the earth is right outside those gates. Well, I have a point to this story, right? <laughs> I, I think I have a point to this story. Well, in, in, reflecting on this, it reminded me 
what Bob and I saw, and our, our Indian, Indian missions team saw when they visited all the temples that are in India. In one street, there is a Hindu temple, a Jain temple, and a, a Muslim mosque, the largest mosque in all of India. And uh, it was, it was uh, really just you know, something that we would never forget, right, Bob? It just, we talked about it for days on end. Scores of people washing their feet, covering their heads, doing all these rituals, chanting. They had a, a Hindu holy book that they opened, and a guy was fanning it in, in, in adoration and worship of this book. There were these gurus, supposedly holy men and women, that they were revering and worshiping. And they had this area where it was a bed where one of the gurus died, and they would go and... Uh, pay homage to this bed where this holy person died and went to the mosque and it was just all these people who knew well their sins and wanted to be righteous before God. They wanted to be accepted before God and they were doing all these things to earn God's favor and yet they were in the most unhappiest place, the really the unhappiest place because they could not get in. They could not receive God's love. Seeing all those idols and idolatry and false religions there, somebody said, Satan is working uh, in India. And my response is, no, Satan is not just working in India. Satan is alive and well in Orange County as well. He's alive you know, right here. As Bob shared last week, we have our false religions. We have our false idols. We have our idols. We have idolatry running rampant here. It's just, we're just much more refined. We're very pragmatic. We don't worship things unless we get something out of it. Right? What's in it for us? We're not, we're more refined. We're, not, we're more advanced. We'll worship it if it means money in our bank accounts. Right? If we get something out of it, there's a return for us in a tangible way. If it doesn't, then we drop it. Right? We have no use for it. But Satan is working here as well. So here and throughout the world, there are all these people that are seeking God in their own way, and yet they're not seeking God. They're seeking their own sins, and they are lost. But that's why we celebrate Christmas. On this day, 2,000 years ago, the angels sang. They sang, glory to God in the highest. Why? Because God has made a way God has made a way for his people to come to him. God has provided a sacrifice by which people can be saved and have their sins be forgiven once and for all and be reconciled to God. That is why we are here this morning and that is why you are here this morning. And I pray you are here because you understand what God has done for us in Christ. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you. Jesus became cursed on the cross that we might enter into his glory and uh, you know, I was going to say this later on, but in case there's any confusion, 
his kingdom or the Christian life is not Disneyland. It is not, I hope I'm not confusing you. It's not you become a Christian, then all these great things will happen to you. If you become a Christian, then life will be filled with roses and rainbows and and all these blessings in your life. That is not the gospel of Christ. God saves you, then your life is a life of carrying the cross, denying yourself. It's a life of division where father, mother, brother, sister, members of the own family are divided because of Christ. It's a life of suffering, a life of, of sacrifice. It is, a life, it is not a life of exterior outward blessing, but the blessing is, is peace with God. It's the love of Christ. It's the forgiveness of sins that is better than life itself. That is the promise of the gospel. It's not these exterior things. These exterior things are what false religion promises. All those idols promise exterior, exterior blessings, but not the Christian gospel. What Christ prov- promises is, uh, is rest in our souls, is peace with God, the love that cannot separate us from God himself. This is the gift that God has given to us in Christ, and this is why we celebrate Christmas as a church. I'll just read to you uh, one verse and just give you three truths about Christmas in light of this one verse. The verse is a verse that uh, one of the kids quoted, Matthew 1, verse 21, and it is an angel of God speaking to Joseph and Mary, And this angel says to them, do not be afraid. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. It is his promise that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Three truths. Verse 21 here takes us back the original purpose of our Lord's birth. The original purpose. The reason we find for Christmas, the first reason for Christmas is the reality of our sins. This is the, the, the true side, the dark reality of Christmas. The simple principle behind the birth of Christ. You know, we... Uh, you know, we, with our hearts and with capitalism, we've spun Christmas into this uh, festive day and great season uh, with, with snow and lights and gifts and cards and, and just family and food. But the first thing Christmas tells us is why he was born. He was born because of our sins. He was born to save us from our sins. This is the backdrop of Jesus' birth. Our sinfulness is the reason for his incarnation. If there was no sin in this world, then he need not have come in human form and die a cruel death. The reason he was born is because of our sins. This is the dark and terrible side of Christmas. In fact, that's the meaning of his name, Jesus, Yeshua, Savior. He's the one who saves 
and is not external salvation from a cruel oppression of a government. He saves us spiritually from our sins, our alienation from God, our separation from God because of our sins. Christmas tells us that there is no exception, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that everyone experiences this cold, harsh separation from God. Everyone experiences this loneliness, this isolation, this unbearable existence, this unbearable being where they're alone with their sins. Ecclesiastes 7.20, there is no one righteous, not even one. Every human being that ever lived and is alive now and will ever live is a great sinner in the sight of a thrice holy God. The second truth, it gets even worse, gets even darker. The second Christmas is, reason, reason is, reason for Christmas is that he came, he was born because we are helpless in our sins. That we are not able to remedy our situation. That we have no answers. We have no cure. We have no way out. Because sin in its essence is not just what we do or we fail to do. Sin in its essence is selfishness. It's self-centeredness. It's self-worship. Right? We sin because we are first sinners. And the essence of sin is that we are self-obsessed. We worship ourselves. And it manifests itself in two ways by outright sinning. Right? Living to please ourselves. Not caring about parents. Not caring about our spouse. Not caring about our, our children or our people in the world. We just live for ourselves. That's the, the first way it manifests itself. The second way is that some people are so horrified by this selfishness that they try to remedy their sins by good works, by morality, by religion. They try to uh, abstain from um, smoking or drinking or illegal drugs. They try to abstain from self-centered behavior, self-destructive behavior. They try to be good citizens, good members of the family, good friends. They try to seek approval before God and others through works. But that is not the remedy for sin because it is still self-centered. The center is still themselves. Right? They're just expressing their, their pride and ego in, in, a, in a different way. But the source is the same. And that self-centeredness all the more expresses itself in their relationships, how because of their relative righteousness toward others, they are the most critical people. They are the most judgmental people. Right? They abound in a self-righteous gossip towards family, friends, neighbors. They're always harping on others. They're holding grudges. They cannot, they will not forgive because they deem themselves righteous compared to others who are so selfish that we see that there is no way out. Christ came. If we could uh, help ourselves out of this dilemma of our sins, then he didn't need to come. Right? It was a journey that was, uh, that was wasted. Lord, we would have found out, found out our way home 
Right? We would have found a way into God's kingdom. He didn't need to come. No, he came because we were utterly helpless in our sins. We were utterly helpless to our motivations. The third truth is the gospel. Right. This is the good news. You know, look at verse 21, and it's a promise. The angel promises that he will save his people from their sins. It's not he will provide it and he'll meet you halfway. Right? He's providing the salvation. You have to cooperate with God and maybe you will be saved. That is legalism, that's religion, that's workspace righteousness. The gospel is no, it is not he might or he ought. It's he will. He promises that Christ will accomplish this impossible feat. What is impossible with man is possible with God through Christ. He will save his people from their selfishness. He will do it. Not just from external sins, but save us from ourselves. Save us from our own pride, our, our works, our boasting. While we were yet helpless, God sent Jesus because of his love to save us. Where he, uh, he breaks through to the Holy Spirit and he gives us a new heart. Right? A new heart. He transforms our inner man. He renews our mind. John 3, literally, we are born again spiritually. We are new creation in Christ. Where the old is gone, but behold, the new has come. This is why Christ has come. This is why we celebrate. Because though we have sinned, though we are evil, though we have rebelled against God without end, though we were God's enemies, God gave us His Son to take away our sins and to forgive us. I mean, Christianity is not a complex thing. It's so simple. It's about the forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, and future. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of all of our sins. Hebrews 8.12, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. That is the promise of God. He will never, to his people, never ever hold our sins against us. He will treat us, not just as if we didn't commit those sins, he will treat us as if we obeyed every single command in the Bible because we are covered with the righteousness of Christ. I, I shared this illustration a few months ago about Charles, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I shared it in... Um, Czech Republic and India as well. And every time I share it, it so affects my heart. It, it grounds me in the gospel. Spurgeon told, told a story about this lady who was being evicted from her home. She was, she was being kicked out of her home because she couldn't make her payment for rent. She had children in the home and she went to the pastor and said, I need help. I'm getting evicted from my house. Well, that week, the pastor talked to his members of the congregation and he got support, donation from the church members. So he went to her home and he knocked on the door. The lights were on, but nobody would answer. 
Next day, he went again. He knocked on that door. Nobody answered. For the whole week, he went and nobody answered. Well, the Sunday came. The lady came to the church. She was crying, went to the pastor and said, we got kicked out of our house because we couldn't pay our rent. And the pastor said, I, I, I knew this. That's why I went to your house every day this week to pay your rent. We knocked on the door, but no one answered. And she said, I heard those knocks every day, but I didn't answer. I was afraid. I thought it was the landlord here demanding payment for the rent. That's why I didn't answer. That is what happens to us. We reverse the gospel. The law convicts us. The law is like an x-ray, exposes a cancer, the spiritual cancer in all of us. But Jesus is the good news. Don't run away from Jesus. He's the cure. He's the answer. He has come not to demand payment from you. He's not here because he's angry. He's not here to condemn you in any way. He is here to rescue you, to save you. He has come with the ransom payment so that our debt might be forgiven. And with which, with what is he going to make that payment? By sacrificing himself on the altar of God, by becoming cursed on the tree so that we might be righteous in the sight of God. So run from the law But don't run from Jesus. Run from the law because it convicts you and run to Jesus. He is your Savior. He is my Savior. That is why we are worshiping Him and declaring Him today. Now, why would God do this? Why would He do this? Why would God, whom I barely know, give His only Son to die on the cross for for my sins? You know, we, we're smart enough, right? We, we're, we're, we're not naive. We want to see the fine print, right? What's the catch? Right? If it's too good to be true, then it must be too good to be true. It's not true. Uh, what's the catch? Why would God do this for me? You know, the amazing thing. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says he did all of this Because he loves us. He loves you. He loves you. Deuteronomy 7, 7. This is what God said to Israel. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your forefathers that the Lord has brought you out from the land of Egypt. Now, anyone reading this will say, this sounds like circular reasoning. God is saying, I love you. You know why I love you? Because I love you. That is why. I love you because I do. See, because if God said... If he, gave a, if he gave a condition on the reason behind this love, then we would be enslaved. We would be still in our sins. Uh, you know, we got, we got, I mean, two people got engaged. One this past week, one a few weeks ago. So look around, people with the brightest faces, right? Gleaming. You know, girls that are like walking on air. Two girls, they're, they're, they got engaged recently. Now, what if 
the girl said to the guy, you know, why, did you, why do you love me? Why did you propose to me? And the guy said, oh, it's because you're so smart. Right? Or because you know, the possibilities of you advancing in your career are so great. That's why I love you. Right? Or because you're so much better looking than the other girls. Or all these things. If they, they're like knuckleheads, right? If they said those things, well, what happened? Their identity would be formed by that. And so if they were able, if they were ever to lose their jobs, right? if, they were, if they ever flunked the class, if they ever lost their talent or any ability, then they couldn't handle it. Because their, the love of their most significant person is conditioned upon something that they possess, that they're able to do. If God did that to us, I love you because you're moral, because you're so smart, because you're so righteous, because you're so humble, you're so good to your family. If God put any conditions, they will be lost in sin because there will come a time in our lives where we would think things and do things that we would never believe. And we would condemn ourselves and God would condemn us because we would understand we are undeserving of his love. That is why God's love toward us is not conditional. It is unconditional. In fact, it's contra-conditional. He loves us undeservedly, even though it pained him so greatly. Even though he had to sacrifice and suffer so greatly, he gave his love and demonstrated it on the cross for our sins. I want to close with this, and I want you to today personalize this love of God in Christ. There are, many, there are a lot of people in Orange County walking around saying, I know God loves me. I, I know God loves me, and I know God cares for me. But for, for them, love is just an abstract idea. It is just a feeling or a passing emotion. It's very abstract. No, the Bible says that is not God's love. God's love to us is seen in Jesus Christ alone. We know God's love because He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. This is the love of God. He demonstrated His love for us that while we were in sin, while we were hating God, He demonstrated His love by dying on the cross for us. Jesus is the love of God. I want you to consider that in the Garden of Gethsemane and at the cross, he could have stopped. He could have given up. He could have walked away. All the forces in the universe were arrayed against Jesus. They were torturing him, rejecting him. They were scorning him. And they were trying to take his life. And he could have said, I've had enough. It's not worth it. And he could have called the angels and walked away from the cross and left us in our sins. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, Jesus Christ was up on the cross, nailing, bleeding, and dying, looking down on the people, betraying him, rejecting him, torturing him. And in the greatest act of love in all of human history, he stayed. Jesus stayed on the cross, and he died on the cross. This is the love of God. Sin was doing everything to separate him from us. But instead, he was separated from God. He died for us so that we might know his love.
This is a love that is wholly unique to Jesus and Jesus alone. This is the height, the width, the depth, the length of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus for you. How amazing is that? That is why Jesus died. You know, I think most of you, you know, God brought you here today. You know, you might have come because of your, you know, children or your grandchildren or your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. But really, God brought you here today because He wants, whether you accept it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you never go to church again, never open the Bible again, He wants you to hear. He wants you to know what He has done for, for His people. And he wants you to know his love for you and his desire is for you to know that God has made a way that you would turn from your sins, turn from your righteousness, that you would turn to Jesus and trust in him on this day, the day that marks his birth. Let us pray. God, we do. Uh, how can we uh, respond to such love? We confess and we know that no one has ever loved us so. This love is, is foreign, it's alien, it's strange to us. Our, our loneliness, our isolation, after a while, it becomes comfortable to us. We are uncomfortable with you having exposing us and, and seeing straight to our hearts and, and having our sinfulness, our selfishness exposed. And yet how quickly the Holy Spirit um, comforts us and, and, and applies the balm of, of the cross on our hearts, telling us of your love, the love of your, your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray, O oh God, that you would show yourself mighty, show yourself powerful and glorious by saving your people in the midst of their sins, opening their eyes, opening their ears, softening their hearts to your gospel message and saving them all to your glory. May voices that sing now be voices that that's, that rise from hearts that truly trust in Christ and are rejoicing ah, with the freedom that you have given to us in him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.